This is episode number 17 with Yen Ancho, founding partner of Undine Capital. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia, with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new session. I am always excited, uh, but maybe even more today because uh, my guest, uh, Yen Ancho, is based in Taiwan, but runs a fund that is China-focused and Southeast Asia-focused. So we're kind of like expanding a bit the focus area. Uh, but I'm excited also because uh, Yen An is actually a lawyer, an attorney by education. Uh, so did that for a while with uh, Jones Day, which is one of the biggest, uh, one of the top, I think top 15, top 20 law firms in the world. Then went into the, to work at MediaTek as a corporate PC. Then eventually went into the e-commerce space with uh, JD. And, and within JD, he was responsible for uh, Top Life, which eventually was acquired by Farfetch China. And now is founding and managing partner of Ondine Capital. Yanan, welcome to the show. How is uh, how's life in Taiwan? Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Uh, the things is getting better in Taiwan and uh, very happy to chat with you. I think that's a very thorough introduction of my background. You know me <laughs> probably better than myself. <laughs> that's funny thing. My, my brother is also a lawyer. So I, to be honest, like I've heard, I've heard the name Jones, Jones Day a few times as well. Uh, but, uh, but how does a lawyer, how does an attorney eventually uh, start to start his own fund? Like what's kind of like, like been your journey so far? And maybe you can share a bit more about Ondine as well. Yeah, definitely. So uh, when I was a lawyer, I did mostly cross-border merge acquisition and IPO transactions. And uh, just my nature that I like to you know, know more about what the company is doing. And you know, merge acquisition and IPO, they are major uh, transaction to a company. But usually when you um, get in touch with companies at that stage, they are already very big and very well structured. And I want to know more about what happens when companies are, you know, younger, smaller. So after, you know, like uh, I think six or seven years of practicing though, I decided to join uh, MediaTek Venture. MediaTek Venture uh, was uh, the corporate uh, venture arm of uh, uh, MediaTek. By then uh, I was very fortunate to, you know, uh, met the, you know, like the time when uh, China and India internet companies booming. So we were able to invest in companies that, you know, Alibaba, like uh, uh, Paytm, Instacart, wow. you know, now all mega companies. Wow. Yes. And um, I, I think I got uh, what I wanted for at uh, MediaTek Venture. I, I, I was able to look at uh, many, many companies, a lot of like hundreds of BP decks like every month. But eventually, like uh, probably like as a lawyer, I like I'm very detail driven. So I want to know more about uh, the operation side, not just you know, like talking to people and reading the, the documents. So I decided to join uh, JD.com uh, in 2015. And uh, in JD.com, I was also, I think, very fortunate to have two things. One is that uh, in 2015, uh, JD.com decided to expand into Southeast Asia. And I was able to, you know, participate in, you know, their development in JD ID and JD Central, and which makes me let me know like Southeast Asia is such an interesting place. You know, like different people coming 
into this area in different regions, different ecosystems and building new things that I've never seen in China or Taiwan or US. Mm. So that, that's, that's also, uh, you know, like why after I started on Gene Capital, I, my partner and I decided to invest in Southeast Asia. And another very fortunate thing about me in J.Coin is that I was able to build standalone e-commerce platform, Top Life, within the company. So I was able to access to you know, all sectors, all touching point of e-commerce, digital advertisement, logistics, and uh, uh, customer service. So know the, the business from in and out. And eventually, the, the platform was sold to uh, Farfetch in 2019. So I say it's a... Uh, it's a, well, not perfect, but it's a good ending for the platform. And uh, I started on Dean Capital uh, in the end of 2018 and started doing investing in 2019. My partner, Randolph Xu, he's my college classmate. So we've known each other for about 20 years. Oh, wow. And I started to invest, to make investment with him, uh, I think, more than seven years ago. His career is all about investment. He started uh, at the Korea company Neighbor and then joined uh, GGV Capital. And then uh, after GGV Capital, he joined the CICC Capital, the biggest investment uh, bank in China. And then we, we, we have a long talk about what we want to do together. We want to you know, enjoy the process and then see more companies ourselves. So we, we, we founded Dean Capital. And from the first day we founded on the capital, we make uh, Southeast Asia our focal point. So, so far, I think uh, almost three years, we have more than 10 portfolio companies operating in Southeast Asia. Wow, that's amazing. So what a journey that has been then from, uh, from being a lawyer, being an attorney, in the legal field, going into corporate PCs, and then actually being, being an entrepreneur, building from the ground up within, within the JD uh, network, right? Exiting that. And then starting on Dean. That is really amazing. And when we talk about on Dean a bit more in detail, like could you share more about maybe AUMs right now and, and how the how it really came about? I understand you did it with your, you know, your old uh, uh, college mate. But to eventually go from an idea to have LPs, to have like enough gunpowder to be writing tickets across China and Southeast Asia is of course a whole different chapter, right? So how did that come about? I mean, you did your first checks, let's say seven years ago. So So there has been, this investing thing has been playing in your mind and you've been doing it actually already way before Ondine was happening. Yes, I think because uh, Ondine Capital is our first fund. Uh, by the way, uh, we are raising our second fund. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the fund size is about uh, a little shy uh, around 100 million now and we have both RMB and USD. Okay. And I think when it comes to starting a fund, especially the first fund, it's about, you know, you are letting your investors to review your whole life, your whole career. Mm. You just open, open yourself for them and see if they like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very personal because um, mm. fund one, it is very difficult. Even though that both Randolph and I had like lots of investment record in our previous career, but from investors' point of view, we are still working under an institution, yeah. not working as like a fund of our own. So yes. we, we basically start from scratch. And uh, fortunately, the, the major investor to our fund, Ondine Capital One, is 
all our acquaintance in our past careers. They know us. They believe in us, and they decided to you know give us a try. And uh, so so far, most of our、uh, investors are corporate investors and companies that we either worked with, worked in, or helped them make money before. So I think、mm. that's very important for anyone who try to start a fund. That's right. You worked with them, either you worked in them, or you made money for them. I think that's a really crucial recipe for、yes. for leaving, I'd say, a good impression, right? So, so when when we go when when we dive a bit deeper in that, so、um, yes, both both you and your partner、um, have worked for these companies, or you know, worked within the company, or made money for them.、Uh, but then to go to that company、yes. again, and these and these people, these these LP eventually. Uh, for them to commit to you is very similar as、uh, you writing checks to startups, right? Where you're committing to those people as well, right? So how how did that how did it go about? I mean, to raise let's say fund number so fund number one as an assets under management of around hundred million dollars. Yes. So so to raise hundred million dollars for a first fund, I think that that is、uh, on its own already an accomplishment, which is amazing. But oftentimes it's 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 these LPs also take a risk. By investing in people, and just like you said,、uh, you kind of need to start from zero again. So, how how did that whole negotiation go? You know, to eventually go to an LP and say, okay, this is what we want to do with owning capital, commit to us. You know, I don't know what what the usual LP commitment is for for this type of fund, but was it difficult? Like, what were the challenges to eventually, you know, have a commitment of up towards hundred million dollars for your first fund? What were the big challenges in in getting the LPs on board? I think it's、uh, for anyone who is doing fundraising. You know,、um, you have to understand what your potential LP want, and、uh, you have to see if what you can offer can match that need.、Mm-hmm. So sometimes even we see some very good potential LP, and we will evaluate whether our resources, our aspiration, the the target company that want we want to invest after we establish fund. Match that LP. So, I think the match is the most important thing.、Mm. And the second thing is the trust, because you know, like for sometimes,、uh, especially for fund one, like many many fund one、uh, GPs, they will approach LP and give them very good stories. Like all, like when you listen to them, it all makes sense.、Mm. But the layer of trust really distinguish one from another. So that's why I cannot emphasize more on how your past career, how your past relationship with these people can actually create that layer of trust. And、uh, once they have they have that layer of trust, usually it's just a matter of how much they want to invest or the whether they are in a good timing to invest in a fund. It's actually very similar. It's very similar in that sense to. Startups pitching to you, right? Startups pitching to you, where it's also a level of trust, and especially nowadays, I think with the quote-unquote Zoom investing, or where there's a lot more, a lot more portfolios who are knocking on your door who you've never met, and maybe eventually、uh, you could invest in them with not even meeting them. Like, what are, what are your thoughts about about this whole Zoom investing or investing in general nowadays in the time we live in right now? Because trust is such a big yeah.、Problem. I think、uh, not able to, you know,、uh, fly to as at our will is is quite difficult for us. Luckily, that we have、uh, like now nowadays, like、uh, we have people in 
Indonesia, in Thailand, in Vietnam, and in Malaysia. So mm. we are able to do on-site DD with our team. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's very important. We spent uh, like the past three years building that team. And luckily, like I think the, the, I think we got enough people just before the 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 the, the you know like the coming of COVID nineteen. Yeah. But still, uh, even even though we have you know like ground teams, we still make some investment with just you know Zoom meetings, you know conference yeah. calls. Yeah. So um, I I think most of the investors will agree that once you have review the so many projects so many startups you can it's like big data you sort of get a, a feeling mm. like in the process of your interaction with the startup founders what things they show and how they react to your questions or your inquiries you can quickly categorize them as a trustworthy or not yeah yeah and especially for earlier stage of startups, that's more important than the numbers. Because mm. if, if it's a very early stage startup uh, and you continue to you know, uh, ask them to give you more numbers, I think the meaning of that is not very much. Because mm. you know, different stages of startup, you, you have to evaluate differently. But I mean, the trustworthiness is always very important. Mm. And I think... A large part of our, the reason why our LP uh, give their money to us is that they believe our judgment on how trustworthy these startup founders are. So that's very, very crucial. And if we build that trust again, we are able to make investment uh, even if we didn't see them on site or personally. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good one. And if you look at, um, I mean, you mentioned something very crucial, right? I think where the trust element or the, the gut feeling plays a very big role, especially within early stage uh, ventures. And it plays, quote unquote, less of a role. And it's going to be much more data driven in later stage, right? I think that those that distinction is definitely there. But when you look at those early stage ventures and those early stage potential portfolio companies, what would be for you, eh? what would be for you, let's say, uh, three main questions that you always ask them that would give you a good indication on is this founder worthy worthy of investment is this founder like fundable yes or no are there like a, I don't know three key questions that you always ask which already can give you a good indication of his trust or his or her uh, trustworthiness I think definitely we want to know why the founder started this company what triggers him? What did he see? Because, uh, you know, like, uh, just like we know why we started our fund. We want to know why the founders start their st companies. And uh, usually that question derives a lot of, you know, like judgment on the, the value of the person and the value of the company. I, I say that. And usually the second question that to follow on would be, what would you foresee the companies to grow in probably the future five or 10 years? What do you expect the company? This question is usually uh, sort of, you know, understand how reasonable the, the founder is and uh, how big the dream he's actually thinking. It's funny that sometimes we, sometimes we use their answers as, 
you know, the bottom line of how we evaluate the kind. But sometimes we use the answers as a ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. How, like, <laughs> it varies. So it, it, it depends on like the actual interaction goes. But um, yeah, we, we definitely will ask that. Mm. And uh, we also will uh, ask very in detail his past career, mm. what people they meet. Because uh, what be, who who they meet, what have they done before? Because uh, we still believe that unless, because ideas don't pop out from nowhere. So yeah. we want to see like how we sort of try to verify like how these companies came out from the traction of the founder or mm. the founding team. Mm. So we will we will uh, ask that. Yeah, yeah. So such crucial crucial elements, right? And coming back to the to the why, like uh, how would you describe uh, why you why you founded on Dean? So uh, to me, I think uh, first uh, as a venture capital uh, list, I I am able to use uh, on Dean to access to so many interesting companies, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, for my personal, you know, uh, <laughs> I was a personal joy. Yeah, and I think uh, my my partner agree with me on that and second we think uh, as a venture capitalist we are actually foresee some development or direction of how the world will become in the future and we use our own money to help shaping the world toward that direction mm. and i think that's very meaningful beautiful and we also you know like we also see some people uh, some very very talented startup founders, they have great ideas. They, they have great uh, work experience and they want to start something great. And in, when you see things like that, you just can't help to, you know, like try to help them and sort of grow with them. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I mean, uh, then, then you become really like the, the, change, uh, the change maker in the world in that sense, right? And then really driving new innovation. Yes, in exactly. Yeah, which, is, which is amazing. And uh, just coming back shortly on um, uh, on Top Life and, and the Farfetch acquisition, uh, where is it? Where is uh, where is Top Life now? Is it is it still running? Has it has it exploded? Like what's kind of like um, the situation? I now? think it is still. I think uh, I'm not sure actually because I I haven't touched base with my hmm. ex colleague uh, okay, okay. for a while. Mm. But I think they have been absorbed by the system. The 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 the, the platform has been absorbed by Farfetch, and okay. uh, Farfetch has used it as a foundation to enter a Chinese market. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's that's awesome. Hey, so um, looking uh, looking forward, looking at China and Indonesia, I think we've had this small conversation pre uh, pre interview, and we talked a bit about China and Indonesia, right? and a lot of times, yes. Uh, people or investors, they would say, um, you know, Indonesia uh, is still a bit behind. It's still behind. It's still behind China specifically where they say like, oh, maybe Indonesia is like 10 years behind. So we just need to be, um, we need to be patient, right? Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about this whole discussion about uh, Indonesia? Maybe it's going to take 10 years before that level of adaption, that level of innovation, just like in China, is going to happen in Indonesia. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I don't think it's a good way to say that Indonesia is like ten years behind China, because I- Indonesia eventually will develop its own way 
mm. a different, a, a unique face of mm. its own. Like Indonesia it, itself doesn't want to become like 100% China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, it it wants, you know, yeah. So, so that same uh, sort of implying that Indonesia is, you know, chasing China and, mm. you know, like try to mm. walk the same path that China has done before. Yeah. Uh, which I think is impossible because uh, both countries have uh, different characteristic, different uh, resources and different, you know, like uh, status quo. Mm. And so, so uh, that's my like first uh, impression when I heard, you know, saying like that. Uh, but I think from the startup and the founders I met in Indonesia, many of them are heavily influenced uh, by uh, what things has developed in China. And I okay. think that's a very good way because I think Chinese companies, they are extremely good uh, understanding what user want and creating amazing product to hook them up and occupy their time and want make, make them to come back recurrently. And they have done it. Uh, so like in China, you, you like people always say, um, you know, companies, they're actually just fighting for users' time. So how much time you can get from your users, mm. then you can more easily to monetize on that. And in the past years, I think the product manager, the, the entrepreneurs in China has published, you know, like the product and thinking of how to do it to a level, I think maybe the best in the world. Yeah, And I think... Many Indonesia uh, startup founders have referenced uh, the design, the thinking of that mm. to uh, implement it in their uh, companies, their products in Indonesia, but adjusted then with uh, the user behavior and the resources they can get in Indonesia. From that part, I think uh, uh, in, uh, there's a very big reference value from China's uh, uh, startup history and uh, ecosystem, the, the, the product thinking. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so true that uh, China and Indonesia, they're not supposed to be identical. But I think what is, and like you said before as well, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of eyes, a lot of Indonesian tech eyes are of course also looking at what's happening in China, right? And I think even even within within fundraising pitches, I mean, to be honest, like I'm me myself, I also pitched, you know, how certain startups in the specific segment that I was active in were, were doing in China. So we were kind of like showing the potential that, that certain niches have, right? Certain segments have. So I think from a reference point, I think definitely a good North Star to at least have, uh, have as an idol or an example. Yes. And in addition to that, uh, I think when probably, you know, like in 2006, 2007 to 2012, when Alibaba IPO'd in the U.S., uh, during which time uh, China most influenced by U.S. Uh, internet companies, you know, Facebook, Google. And uh, nowadays, uh, it is inevitable that Chinese mega internet company will try to influence Indonesia by way of investment, by way of uh, business development, and mm. by way of um, maybe even merger acquisition mm. or technology exportation. So it is inevitable that uh, 
there will be strong influence from China to Indonesia startup ecosystem. Yeah, and and when we look at the when we look at the startup ecosystem, and we look at Ondine. So Ondine, uh, if if you look at your focus right now, is there any? Because I was looking at the portfolio, but it's it's quite there's a lot of portfolio. Would you say that um, uh, maturity wise or sector wise, do you have any preference on investments? So uh, whether specific focus on early stage or a bit later and, and sector wise, any, any preference personally? Yes, we, we like to, because um, uh, still, uh, I think uh, Southeast Asia compared to, you know, either Taiwan or China or Japan, maybe it's still not very mature in very hard technology, like a semiconductor, like yeah. a optical technology or, mm. or uh, you know, solar technology, things like that. So we would look more in the internet uh, sector. And when we look at the internet sector, uh, we view internet as creating a new layer of, I said, life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Nowadays, people spend so much time on internet. That's part of life. It's a layer beyond the real, I said, real life of brick and mortar life. And there will be business that only in that layer or there and there will be business that connect the actual life to internet life yeah, yeah. But, but no matter what business you do like business including selling products you want to bring that case between the two layers or in e- either layers so it's like building um it's like building a, a tariff a ticket uh stop in a position that many, many roads will pass through you. Yeah. So you will be able to monetize on all sorts of uh, business that will future be built in or even built on this new ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. In, in Indonesia, I think the example would be a toll and road, right? We look at companies who, yes, yes. So we, we look at business, we call it, we like to invest in companies that has the potential to be the infrastructure of this new digitized or digitalized world. Mm, mm, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think when you have the right, uh, the right toll road and you can uh, charge everyone on the toll road, then, uh, then you're, doing a, you're doing a good job, right? And uh, so, so let's go a bit deeper into that. So um, stage-wise, are you, are you focusing on certain stages within the investment cycle? So uh, instead of, you know, like uh, saying that we stick to stage A, stage B, stage C, we look more on how much more like room for growth this company will have. Mm. So at least in our mind, when we invest in a company, we expect it to have more than 10 times growth after we invest it. Mm. So, you know, in some, in some positions, uh, maybe... Because so, it's naturally like some business model will like naturally bigger than some more business models. For example, search engine will probably bigger uh, than, uh, you know, like a, a quiz game online, mm. something like that. So, yeah. but we, we look at companies that when we invest in it, it will in the future have 10 times more growth, bigger growth. Mm. And that's what we care about. Mm. So we care less about the stage of when we invested. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. 
and uh, so, so yeah, it comes back a bit to, to ROI, which I always find an interesting discussion, right? So from a investor perspective, uh, would it then be fair to say that you're always looking for kind of like a 10x type of return? Yes, because if we don't look at uh, a 10x return, then we can probably, we will probably do worse than that. It is <laughs> yeah. already very difficult to do, you know, ten, it's very difficult to do 10x return, but if we don't aim for it, we will never be able to reach that. So true, so true, so true. And I think that's also why uh, portfolio-wise, you need to balance it out on a portfolio-wise, right? So maybe there's startups in a portfolio where you believe maybe they could do like 20x and maybe others maybe a bit below so that at least on average, your portfolio is going to do like a 10x, right? Uh, in fact, we want all of our portfolio to be 10x. So if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if uh, yes. So, so we, 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 cause you, I think if a company fails, then usually, I mean, we will try any means to, you know, recover the loss, but that's yeah, yeah. still like, we consider you know, like a, you know, like a zero recovery. So, so we, we, when we invest in a company, we, we, we expect it to be 10 times. Yes. 10, 10, 10 times return. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, and because that's usually, usually in any pitch deck, they'll say like, okay, our, our market size is, you know, 10x of what it is today. So I think that's aligned with the story. So as, the, as an investor, what, how do you help? How do you help the companies besides money? How do you help the companies to, uh, to reach that 10x? Because 10x has always been like, a, not a, a golden rule, but you hear it a lot. Right? Oh yeah, we're going to 10x in the coming years. But to actually do it, operationally speaking, uh, is a different story, right? So how do, you, how do you look at that from an investor perspective after writing a check? So you write a check and then the expectation that you have is that this company is going to 10X in the coming, let's say five to 10 years. How are you supporting these companies to reach that goal? I, I think most, um, I wouldn't say standard, but they, they all try their best to do uh, post-investment management help their portfolios. Mm. And uh, uh, so I think we are uh, still a very standard venture capital. So we don't want to involve too much in operations. Because if we invest in the company, we trust our CEO in that regard. Yeah. But as a venture capitalist, a venture capitalist, just like a lawyer, like an accountant, like a dentist has its own, you know, I would say like expertise disciplines. That is to help the company toward the capitalization, toward exit. So we know better. I think we know better than the CEO about fundraising, about what money to take, when to take it, how much you should take. So we will give advice on that. In addition to that, uh, we will also channel in uh, resource like talents because you know, like um, we have uh, our background coming from greater China area, we actually access to, you know, uh, many Chinese uh, internet talents. We have helped the channels, you know, product manager, we have helped uh, RD people to our portfolio companies. And we also introduced uh, uh, funds from greater China to look at uh, startups in, in, uh, in Southeast Asia, because, you know, sometimes there are, they are very interested in Southeast Asia, but they don't have ground team. They don't have, you know, point of contact. So they yeah. don't know the market very well, but we, we, we are very familiar with them. So still they, they trust us. So uh, if we recommend then like, oh, this company is pretty good. You should look at it. 
oh, we, we recommend the, the Southeast Asia startup to get in touch with uh, financial advisors of in Greater China. They will help them to you know access to more fundings from Greater China area. Yeah. So I think uh, uh, that's two very, I, I think that's two very, like pr- two priorities that we do, companies that we invested in. Yeah, that sounds solid. Uh, when we look at the, the VC landscape, um, and I can imagine that you uh, coming uh, or coming, focusing also on, on the greater China area, um, do you see any trends within the VC space specifically uh, that are now happening in Southeast Asia? Because I think, uh, I believe that the, the VC, like the investment climate nowadays, it's, it's still very early, right? From a macroeconomic perspective, it's still very early. I mean, uh, 50 to 55% of the global VC investments is being done in the US. Uh, so the rest is scattered all, all over the world. So it's still pretty early. Like, what do you see from a VC standpoint um, on certain trends that are happening in China um, versus uh, in Indonesia? Yeah, it's a it's a very big question. Uh, uh, but overall, I think I see more and more fundings going into Southeast Asia, and I see com- uh, bigger like funds are getting bigger and bigger, so they're able to write bigger checks. I think mm-hmm. when I started in two thousand eighteen, some people I, I hear complaints about you know after stage A. Uh, companies in Southeast Asia are very difficult to get further fundings exactly. after stage A. Yeah, but I don't think that's the case nowadays. I, I see bigger fund, bigger investment in Southeast Asia, and I think you know the IPO of um, those mega com- internet companies uh, in Southeast Asia truly show the investor a clear way to exit. And it's also very interesting because you see, uh, you must have uh, heard companies that are going to IPO or IPO in Indonesia and companies that IPO in Vietnam. From some perspectives, Indonesia companies actually have more way out because they can IPO in US. They can also IPO in Hong Kong. I know that the Hong Kong exchange is trying to attract a more uh, Southeast Asia company to IPO there. They can also IPO in local stock exchange, Indonesia, Vietnam, or Thailand. So it's become very attractive in that sense, which was the biggest worry for uh, investors. What if I, what, once I invest in the company, where will they end up? Exactly, what, yeah. what, what, should they, what should we do with our money? Yes, mm-hmm. but not, I don't think that's a problem now. And uh, that problem being solved that will attract more and more money going into Southeast Asia. I'm very confident in that. Mm. I think China is already a very mature uh, a VC, a very intense competition. So uh, th- there's just so much money in China. And every, mm. every industry, like every tract, I say, like startup has tons of money. And so you really need to read the, the policy very carefully, understanding how the policy is driving the money towards some direction. So for example, uh, nowadays, like semiconductor is very important. Uh, so uh, you will see tons of money going into that area. Well, I think Southeast Asia, from my experience, I still see like uh, most of money goes to FinTech, but I still 
feel that uh, the Southeast Asia overall is still a full-blown market. You, it, it is not driven by one policy. So you still have freedom that you still have the, you know, like, um, so you can still like invest in any area you want and do not expect that the, the whole resource will go toward into certain uh, areas. It's interesting that you that you uh, you also mentioned like the, the the level of competition within the VC space in China. So that's that's pretty pretty hardcore, I can imagine. Like, and how how does that uh, how does that show? Like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Does it mean that uh, every corner there's a new VC, or every every week a new VC uh, rises up? How does it show in, in operationally speaking that the, that the competition within within the VC space is so extremely high within China? So I think the, the competition level of competitiveness comes from uh, you know several aspects. First, uh, the information is transparent but not transparent. Transparent means if you know people in the ecosystem, you will be able to access to tons of deals, like more deals than you can expect every day. But at the same time, if you are not, you don't get anything. So you will try any means to get in the loop. So that is one level of competition already. And second is that because there are just so much money in China, so any good deal will be chased by so much money. So it's sort of giving very little bargaining power Unless you are a famous VC like Sequoia mm. or, you know, like the, the national fund. So if you are not a, that type of fund, you will need to show, even need to show many things to the companies that you want to invest in. Like they will take your money. At the same time, the, the, the time spent for you to decide whether to make an investment is also shorter. Because sometimes you are not able to do a very thorough um, check of the company before you make the investment decision. So wow. the competition is just intense. Yeah, so, so it means that the, the pressure is also a bit higher. Uh, tickets flow much faster. And I can imagine uh, to sit at the right table and have the right founder across the table, that that's even costs blood, sweat, and tears to do that, I can imagine. Yes. So looking at Southeast Asia talked a bit about let's say your specific preference when it comes to niches or segments that you find interesting or you see a lot of potential when we look specifically in southeast asia or maybe let's put it down to indonesia right indonesia is such a big a big country right i mean 17 plus thousand islands and even within indonesia it's not really a homogeneous country right i mean there's a lot of different you know tier one two three four five cities and different languages etc etc what do you think are very high promising segments within Indonesia if you look at it from an investor perspective. I know I know we do we know fintech and fintech is always going to be echoed by a lot of investors, but are there any specific elements maybe or markets within fintech or maybe other outside of fintech that you personally believe is going to be a massive game changer for the country uh, within the coming five to ten years? I think it is difficult to say game changing because uh, game changing is such a you know Big grandness word. level. And um, but I would say like I, some area I think I would I think in, in the next uh, five years I, I I think uh if you look at the uh sort of the trajectory the development of uh, sort of Indonesia uh, internet companies everybody will say that there are already big uh 
e-commerce platforms, uh, Tokopedia.、Mm. So there is already big e-commerce players, and you also have Grab and、uh, Gojek, sort of、uh, you know like、uh, delivery platforms、yeah. and、uh, cab hailing. Yeah. Yes. And you also have Traveloka, so that's the 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 ticket uh, and the traveling uh, uh, travel. Uh, ticketing uh, in internet companies. So, if you put them all together, if you put them all together, you will see, you can think, maybe something reference from what these similar companies in China they want to expand to. So, like currently, I'm looking at Indonesia and I put these companies in a chart, and then you will. And try to sort of imagine how they will expand in the next five years, and you will see some overlapping. And I think those areas will be very, very promising in the next five years、mm-hmm. because、uh, these bigger platforms will devote resources in there. And if you are quicker enough to,、uh, you know, occupy a spot over there. You will be. You will have a lot of business development opportunities.、Mm. So I think one area would be you are able to bridge those pure internet company, which maybe have some delivery capacity, may not, to actually connect them with a little harder to access areas with internet. So usually a little harder means. E-commerce. You you look at the user behavior. You can browse the app. You you click about not a not a click. Sorry, that tap tap tap. Uh, and then to make purchase on the e-commerce platform. But there will be business actions that take more steps to do that. You know,、mm. buying cars, buying houses, or different things. It takes extra layer of work on that, and then you will like. Extra layer of to connect the like I would say the brick and mortar store and the internet world. You have to take extra layer, extra work to do that. And I think those areas will be easy enough for the current big e-commerce player to devote resources to go into, and but hard enough for them to you know like to fully develop by themselves. Then those areas will be very very promising.、Hmm. Interesting.、Uh, And、uh, so, in in if we if we reference China's uh, uh, trajectories, I think you know、uh, probably something related to infrastructure, real estate,、uh, will be very promising in Indonesia. And、uh, better and more flexible operation of warehousing will be also very promising. And I think、uh, cross border、uh, transportation, but not. Just you know, like uh, uh, providing you better price on it, but you know, smarter way of making the cross-border transportation will be also very promising.、Mm, yeah, for sure. I think the last part, especially, it's、um, I think for many e-commerce players, it's a bit of a headache when we talk about cross-border and talk about you know the all the all the all the red tape and the imports that need to be solved to actually make that a fluent、uh, process. So I, I I totally agree with that, and I see that also happening. Uh, Yan Anna, we. I want to ask、yes. you a, a final question. I mean, there's so much to learn about your journey. You know,、uh, from、uh, 
being a lawyer and then being the CVC and then going to building within JD and then being acquired and now launching on Dean. So I would love to ask you, uh, Jen, on if we, if we look forward, look far, far away into the future, not five years, not 10 years, but let's say a hundred years from the hundred years into the future. And uh, I tried to look up on Dean Capital. It's an empty page. Uh, I tried to look up uh, your name uh, on LinkedIn. It's empty page. But besides that, I, I tried to Google your name and, and I see three bullet points only, only three bullet points. And those three bullet points uh, represent the three life lessons that Yen An Cho wants to leave the world with, wants to be remembered by. <laughs> what would those three, three pointers, what would those three pointers be? Well, that's so deep. <laughs> that's how we roll. Yeah, that's that's how we roll. Deep. But uh, I think the answers may change. But uh, now, if I, I, I want to be... I want to be sort of remembered. Um, so I would say like, try to enjoy the process of what you are doing, even though that you may fail some of your expectations of your own expectations. Don't fear that you will fail your own expectation. Yes. That's good. I think that just, just that is enough. <laughs> That's that's beautiful, uh, Yanan. Um, that's good uh, to to round up the show as well. Um, don't 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 fear as well those high expectations. I think you need to enjoy the ride. And uh, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom of your journey so far. And I am excited to see what uh, Ondine is going to invest in in the coming years and how Ondine is going to develop in the years ahead. Thank you so much for sharing, Yanan. Uh, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hope to see you soon. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share this with a friend that you think would be inspired. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Masters of Cashflow podcast over on Apple and Spotify. And I'd really appreciate if you can leave a rating and review on Apple and let me know what your biggest takeaway is of this episode. I want to leave you with this. Richard Branson once said, you don't learn to walk by following the rules. You learn by doing and falling over. Isn't that a beautiful reminder that entrepreneurs are doing and are falling over every day? And that is the beauty of this journey. I wish you all the best in what you're pursuing and hope to see you in the next episode.